Listen as I read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I did not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his, as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let's pray that God would apply his word, that we would see the truth of who Jesus is. I invite you to bow your heads as I pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks to you that you speak to us in your word, that you don't leave us guessing at the truth, but the truth has been announced to us. Lord, that we are given the gift of eternal life, and so I pray for those who are with us this morning who, who perhaps have a counterfeit, trusting in what they think is an appearance of, of religious observance or trusting in their own goodness, Lord, let them see the good news of the gospel, the gift that is given to us by Jesus, Jesus the Christ who died for us. Lord, let us receive the gift of eternal life for those that, that come with, with questions. Lord, may they find in you truth. Lord, for those that come with burdens, may they find in you the comfort, the comfort of a father caring for his dear children. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work in us this morning by the power of your Spirit. We come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I think I liked it better when I just slept through tornado warnings. Right? You remember that time? Like, it was just months ago. That if there was a tornado warning, I would have no idea. Now, for a kid who grew up in New Jersey, now has lived in Delaware for 17 years, I've generally been able to live my life sleeping through tornado warnings without any real fear. But you remember that day back in April, 3.30 in the morning, Monday morning, my phone started screaming at me. And then in the grogginess, I have to figure out, what's, wait, which is, which is worse, a watch or a warning? But it's yelling at me, get down to your basement right now. And so we wake the sleeping children and go down to the basement. Now, I don't know. What will I do next time? Okay, I will wake, for the record, you should leave the alert on your phone, and when warned, you should take immediate action. But, but part of me just wants to silence it. 
Just ignore the warning. I mean, how dangerous could it really be? We live in Delaware, after all. Or maybe I just prize sleep more than the lives of my children. Because for many of us, it's, it's easy to ignore a warning. We're quick to think, ah, not a big deal. It's not a problem. Or, you know what, that's two flights of stairs. At 3.30 in the morning, that seems like too much work. This will disrupt my entire work week. I mean, think of how many extra cups of coffee were consumed on that Monday morning to get people through their days. See, we just want to go back to sleep. And that might be, might be how we would hear what John is telling us. He's bringing a serious warning. And yet, is it really that big a deal? I mean, the problem seems sort of vague and ill-defined. There's some antichrist coming. Oh, no, look out. Can't we just ignore him? And yet, yet notice the urgency with which he speaks, an urgency and a compassion. Look back at verse 18. He begins again with that phrase we've seen in this letter, dear children. It's the compassionate love of a pastor for the church. He tells them in verse 18, look again, this is the last hour. He's using language to describe the, the timeline of history. And on God's grand timeline from, from the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, we had the arrival of Jesus Christ at his first coming, his death and resurrection. And now we're anticipating the end of history when Jesus will come again as judge. And what John is telling us is, if you want to figure out where you are on the timeline, you are in the last hour. It's described throughout the, the Bible, the last days, or, or in the singular, the last day. But John ratchets up the urgency. If you're counting the hours, this is the very last hour. There is nothing we're waiting for before Jesus Christ will return. That's the next big marker on the timeline of history. We're in history's final moments. The judge is coming. But we can just kind of ignore this one, right? I mean, this hour has been stretching on quite a long time. I think John's watch is broken. I mean, not only has it stretched for John and his listeners to the end of the first century, now decades after Jesus returned to heaven, but look at your calendar. We are now nearly 2,000 years into this last hour. And so do we really need to be all that urgent? Is there really any danger? And what is the warning that he brings in this last hour? Again, let's turn our attention to verse 18. He says, And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, Right now, if you have been around church or you've just seen sort of popular culture connected with American religiosity, this language of the Antichrist might seem a little bit threatening. The one who sets himself up at the end of history against Jesus. I mean, that's the word is easy to figure out what it means. Anti against Christ. His name is the one who is against Christ. And, and it seems like John is the one who coins this word for us. 
It's the first time we have it written down in history, and it's only in the New Testament in John's letters. Now, it captures the language of of even Jesus himself. When Jesus warned his disciples, this is back in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, in, in chapter 24, when Jesus says, watch out, he's warning them, don't be deceived because many will come claiming, I am the Christ. Jesus is saying there will be counterfeit Christs, false Christs, those that claim to come in the name of Jesus, those that come to deceive. And so John makes the the action of the Antichrist explicit. He's the one who sets himself up against Jesus. But but more more than sort of warn us to just look at the headlines of history to determine when will this Antichrist, the Antichrist, capital A Antichrist, when will he arrive? See, that that might be the way that you're tempted to read the Bible, is I need to figure out that moment. I need to figure out when he will come. And so you're, you're, you're looking at the headlines of what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening with, with the, the tensions in Iran, what's happening in, in Russia, and you're thinking, I, maybe I can figure this out. John is telling you, do you want to know when the Antichrist will come? In this hour. This very hour of history in which you and I live, he will come. And, and the, the warning is not so much that we look for one person who sets himself up against Christ, because what does he say in the very next phrase? Because even now, many, many antichrists have come. See, the real warning is not that we should be looking forward into history for the one antichrist, but that we should right now be looking around us for anyone who sets himself up as an antichrist, anyone who sets himself up against Christ. That's what the word means. And and John will be explicit then in verse 22 when he defines who the Antichrist is or who a Antichrist is. Look, Look at verse 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. All right, so the definition The word itself makes it clear. An antichrist is someone who sets himself up against the Christ. And then what does that explicitly mean? Verse 22, it's someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Because remember that that we, we, we often use the description. We call him Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, our Lord. But it's 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 not a name, it's a title, it's a designation, it's a position of authority. He is the Christ, or if we were reading it in the Old Testament, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one sent by God. And so, really, there are only two types of people in the world. Those that are with Christ, and you and I would summarize that Christian, one who is like Christ, or the only other option is you are anti-Christ. Because either you admit, verse 22, that Jesus is the Christ, the basic confession of Christian theology and the Christian church, or you deny that truth. But so you might think, well, this seems like a very narrow way of parsing out the world, only two clusters of, of people. Isn't it possible that I could sort of be somewhere in the middle, a third category. Maybe there's a fourth or a fifth category that I, I, could, I could carve out for myself. Well, I'm reminded of, of uh, 
an encounter my dad and I had while he was preaching at a, at a car show at, up in McCungee, Pennsylvania. My dad's ministry as the pastor at the church I grew up in was to, he was the pastor of outreach, and it meant often on Sundays, particularly when the weather was like this, we would be out under a tent, and he'd be preaching. And so he dragged me along. I was in college at the time and, uh, and I, to, to, to lead the music, and, and he would preach. And after the service, a woman came up to him He's standing down in front to, to greet people that are there. It's in a big band shell, and, and there, are, there are rows of park benches. And, and this woman comes up and, and says, don't I look nice? And my dad says, well, well, yeah. And then he says, I mean, don't you like my hair? Okay. Don't you like my figure? At this point, my dad pulls me over and says, let me introduce you to my son. This is my son, Kevin. My wife, Jeannie, she's back home. See, see, she's, she's home, and so he's, he's, and she says, she says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not making it pass. I, I just want to point out that outwardly I look fine, but I have terminal cancer in just weeks to live. She says, so I'm going everywhere I can to, to figure out the truth. I want to know what's going to happen next. And you told me that Jesus is, is the only way. But I've, I've, been to, uh, I've been to the Buddhists. I've been to the Hindus. I've been to the, the New Age people. I've, I've been everywhere trying to find an answer, and I just can't, I can't find an answer. And then she says, but, but I had a dream, a dream at night. And she described the dream for us. She said, I had this dream that I was, I was standing before this vast multitude of people, I mean, people so numerous, you, you, you couldn't count them. And, and then came a man who, even though this woman is seeking religion but doesn't consider herself a Christian, she says, but in my dream, I knew it was Jesus. Jesus arrived, and, and, he, and he motioned. And many in, the, in this crowd were gathered around Jesus, and he led them off in joy. But then on the, the other side, Satan appeared. This is how she's describing her dream. Satan ap- appeared. And he, with a sinister wave of his finger, motioned, and the rest of the crowd came toward him. She says, in my dream, though, I'm, I'm right there in the middle. I'm sitting on the fence, literally on a fence down the line between these groups of, of, of people, left alone until Satan, in her dream, she says, Satan came back for me, and he waved me over. And she said, but, 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 but no, no, I'm, I'm here on the fence. And he said, I own the fence. What do you think of this dream, she asked. It's the biblical truth. Satan owns the fence. If you feel like you're sitting, well, you know, I haven't come to the place where I could declare that Jesus is my Savior, my Rescuer, my Hero, my King, my Christ, then you are an Antichrist. So there are really only two categories of people. I don't know what decision that woman made. She walked away with a clear declaration that Jesus is our hope, our rescuer. But what about you? Where do you stand? Will you be welcomed and given the gift of eternal life through Jesus the Christ, or have you 
turns your back on him. See, John is offering us a clear warning, but then he gives us the truth. Look at what what he says. He says, you already know this truth. Look at verse 20. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Verse 21, now, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. See, what John is telling these Christians, these people that claim to be followers of Jesus, you already have everything you need. The message is already yours, and you can actually know this to be true. You can have confidence that this is yours. You don't have to be guessing and wondering and thinking, well, maybe, I hope, I'm, you know, in the end, I, I, I hope I'll be on Jesus' side. No, John is saying, no, you have the truth. You know this truth. Because John is confronting a problem within the church. There are those that were within the church, counterfeit Christians, who have left, have set themselves up as antichrists. That's what he says in in verse 19, that they went out from us, the antichrists, those that are denying the basic core truths of of Christianity. And maybe maybe you've, you've, you've thought that the history of of the church is that, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Jesus never really claimed to be the Christ, that 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 was only figured out, sorted out, added to the doctrines hundreds of years later when the councils of the church finally gathered and wrote it down in order, maybe this is what you've, you've thought, in order to sort of consolidate some sort of political power, they added these theological claims that Jesus is the Christ. That was a claim that Jesus is God's son, that wasn't added till, till much later. But don't you see what John is telling us? No, that was the controversy from the very beginning. What was the issue that split these churches? Is Jesus the Christ? Is he the one sent from God? Is he the one who died in your place? Is he the one who was raised from the dead? See, this is the core and central truth of Christianity. And and John says, this is the truth, verse 24, that you have heard from the beginning. This is the very message. From the day we saw the resurrected Christ, this is the message we have been preaching to you. It's not something that gets added much later after the time of, of the apostles. This is the apostolic message. This is the core of Christianity, which makes sense. We put the word Christ in the description. Jesus is the Christ. He is God's anointed one. That's, that's what the word means. And, and so look at verse 20, where we, where we have a play on words here in the, in the original Greek that, that we don't see as clearly in the English. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now that word anointing and the word Christ are the same root word. Because the Christ is the Messiah, which means the anointed one. So in the original Greek, you would hear it. You would hear me say Christos and Christmas. You would hear the, the same root that would, that would make the connection for you, that what do you and I have? We have an anointing, the gift that comes from the anointed one, Jesus, who is the Holy One sent by God. We have the gift that Jesus has given to us. He's poured out on us His truth, and his power, he's given us his Holy Spirit. That's the promise that Jesus made before he left this earth, that he was giving the church, he was anointing the church, giving them the blessing of having God. Because 
we have been anointed by Jesus, the anointed one. And when we talk about Jesus being the Christ, we're talking about his eternal sonship. He is the Son, capital S-O-N, from all eternity. He is true God of true God, very God of very God. He is God's Son. He is the Messiah who has been sent for us. He is God's King. He has absolute authority over all of creation. Jesus is divine. That's what we're saying when we claim that Jesus is the Christ. And so you and I have the true blessing that comes from God, the gift that Jesus promised, the gift of eternal life. In the church, there is falsehood, antichrists, and there is truth, those that declare Jesus to be the Christ. John is saying, though, it's hard at times to tell the difference. Because the counterfeiters, they use language that seems so similar. They use all of the same kind of religious language. They talk about Jesus, and they use Old Testament kinds of words. It sounds sort of the same until you dig underneath. And perhaps that's your experience in a church. And by that I mean a place that calls itself a church, but that might not actually meet John's definition here of what a true church is. Even our church's own history was, to, was of a, a being part of a denomination that, that decades ago had preachers and missionaries who said, come on, we don't really believe he's the Christ. That's nonsense. That's like saying God came down from heaven to earth and really died and really rose again. Wink, wink, we all know that's not what we mean. And yet there are many churches that you could walk into today that would teach that kind of message. But it sounds the same because, well, some of the songs that they sing are the same. They read sometimes from the Bible, although when they talk about resurrection, we don't mean physical, bodily, real resurrection. We mean an inspirational idea to give you motivation in your life. See, but maybe you've, you've grown up even in a church and never really seen the truth. Because what John is saying is, is for the church, when those who are teaching falsehood went out, when there was a separation, then it, it, it brought clarity about what is really true. See, the one good thing about conflict within the church, theological conflict, is it forces Christians to genuinely look and say, well, what do I really believe? Do you really believe in Jesus the Christ, or are you denying the core claims of Christianity? See, we've, we've heard John's warning now, the warning that there are many antichrists even now, but we've been given the truth. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed king. He has given us an anointing, his Holy Spirit. And so what will we do with this? How will we respond? Will we dismiss the truth? Will we ignore the warning? Will we just silence the alarm and go back to sleep? See, what John is telling us to do is to remain in Jesus, to cling 
to Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to hold tight to Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 24. See that, that, see that what you have heard from the beginning. Okay, now again, we've already looked at this verse to say, yeah, this wasn't something they made up. This is, what, this is what the apostles have been teaching from the beginning. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Hold tight to it. Because, verse 24 continues, if it does, if this truth remains in you, you will also remain in the Son, and you will remain in the Father. He, he repeats this command then to remain in the truth, to remain in Jesus in verse 27. He says, as for you, the anointing you received from God remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, he, he's, he's not actually saying they don't need to be taught because what is he doing? He's teaching them. What he's saying is you don't actually need anything new. You don't have to have somebody like these false antichrists are doing coming in and saying, well, well let, me, let me clarify this for you. Let me give you the real truth. No, he's saying you don't need to be taught by anyone because you already know the truth. Just believe what you already know. And so he says, verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now that might seem like, well, that's easy. I don't have to do anything. Like, just, just stay right here. Got it. Well, accept that to remain in Christ means that when you are buffeted by the storms of the world, you have to remain in Christ. The ground on which you are standing will, will not stay secure in a world broken by sin. Your own heart will be pulling you away towards the lusts that we saw in the previous verses. So to remain in Christ is, is not a passive thing. It's an active pursuit of Jesus. And actually, what John is doing is, is he's using the language of Jesus himself to describe what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. This language of remaining in Jesus is the same language that Jesus used in John chapter 15 in the Gospel of John. That's the longer book that John wrote describing the, the ministry of Jesus. And so you can, you can flip there. We'll, we'll come back to 1 John. But if you go to John chapter 15, you'll find a familiar image. And this is one that would have been significant for John because, well, one, Jesus was preaching. But remember, John had heard Jesus preach for years, day after day over the course of many years. This sermon is significant. This teaching is significant because it happens on the night of Jesus's arrest and betrayal. Having left the upper room, Jesus having been on his knees washing his disciples' feet, they go to the garden where Jesus will be arrested. And so this sermon comes at a pivotal moment in the life of John himself when Jesus will be taken away. He says, remain in me. So look at what, what Jesus teaches in John chapter 15. John 15 verse 1 Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And, he, and here's the word we've seen in 1 John 2, now in John 15, 4. Remain in me. 
Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what is John commanding when he tells us to remain in Christ? He's picking the image that Jesus himself gave of a vine and branches. You break off a branch, and what will happen to it? Well, if you put it in a vase in the water in your house for a little while, it'll, it'll stay green for a short period of time. No, if the branch is not connected to the vine, it will wither and die. And so when Jesus, when, when Jesus commands us as the true vine, and we are his branches to remain in him, it means we have to remain intentionally purposely, continually connected to the life-giving source of eternal life, Jesus himself. Now, I'm going to give you some applications, and you're going to think, uh-huh, I kind of knew that already. But just like John's listeners need the reminders, you and I need the reminder to remain in Christ. How do you remain in Christ? How do you maintain fellowship with him? He's given you words of truth, so lead them. He's given you access, direct access to him, so pray to him. And now you're thinking, oh, great. This was totally worth it to get us all ready and come here for the pastor to tell me, read your Bible and pray. But don't you see what Jesus is saying is, remain in me, remain in fellowship with me, remain in relationship with me, abide with me, sit with me, be close to me. The God of the universe, the Christ himself, is offering relationship with us. And so read God's word, study God's word, memorize God's word, walk from this room into a Sunday school class where you will hear God's word. Take your children and drop them off so they will hear God's word. This week at Vacation Bible School, in our Bible memory class, Kids were challenged. These elementary school kids were encouraged to memorize God's Word. We had 28 kids this week memorize all of their Bible verses. 28 of you can surely do that. And yet, when's the last time you intentionally, purposefully memorized a verse of God's Word? Where you said, I will abide with Christ so that when I face a storm, when I face a crisis, the first thing that I think are the very words of Jesus himself, the promises that Jesus offers to me. And and Jesus continues in John 15. He says, part of what it means to remain in him is to do what I tell you to do. He says, remain in me, obey my commands, and you will remain in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. See, when we follow after Christ, we we obey his commands, we do what he says, not because we feel burdened by it, but because we see the love of God displayed for us. John will tell us, we'll see this this in coming weeks, in in chapter 3 of 1 John, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons of God. We should be called children of God. And so abide in Christ, remain in Christ. You have the truth. You can see the counterfeit. You can reject the antichrists. Last year, a small art museum in southern France discovered that more than half of its collection 
more than half of its paintings are counterfeit. The quaint French village, this is how the news reported it, the quaint French village of Elm, near the border with Spain, is proud to be the hometown of painter Etienne Terousse. Now, Terousse wasn't in my Art Appreciation 101 class, but he's a late 19th century painter, a, a watercolor artist, who was friends and, uh, and, and close with Henri Matisse. And so last year, when they were renovating this museum, dedicated to their hometown art hero, they brought in a, an art historian to help them transport the paintings, keep them safe during the restoration. And immediately, he saw the problems. So that when it came time for them to reveal the new renovated building, the big reveal was that we got rid of half the artwork in here. He sounded the alarm, brought in other historians, other experts to confirm the counterfeits. He says, some of the problems were really obvious. On one of the paintings, when he picked it up and brushed his hand, white-gloved hand, across it, the signature disappeared, wiped clean off. Other paintings obviously had two signatures. The forgers hadn't even bothered to paint over the original artist's signature. They just added the forgery. So some of the other problems were, took a little bit more work, but when you would turn some of the paintings over and you'd realize they were painted on paper, produced after World War II, long after the artist's lifetime. Or in one of the, the, the centerpieces of the, the collection, one of the great pieces that, that art historians said was, was a connection between the, the art that had come before and Matisse and the art, art trajectory that would come after. One of the, the great centerpieces of their, their collection was shown to be a forgery because it included a picture of a castle, but it had an addition. A roof was replaced on the castle in the 1940s, painted into the picture. The artist died in the 1930s, decades before. And so this museum had to admit that most of what they had was forged, counterfeit, was false. Now, we may chuckle at the foolishness of the original curators, this little museum in the, in the south of France. Now, perhaps maybe the international publicity will actually help this museum in the long run. People will come to see the forgeries side by side with the, the true pieces of art. And maybe when you hear a story about art, his, about art forgeries, you just feel a little bit smug because you think, those rich people getting fooled again. But we, we are at much greater risk of trusting in a counterfeit claim, a counterfeit gospel. And spiritually, maybe some of you are so weak that, that, that all it would take is just the, the mere glance of a curator's hand to wipe away any identification with Jesus, who is the Christ. Maybe the first danger of life would, would simply, you would say, no, that can't be. Maybe the, the questions that your, your coworkers or, or skeptical colleagues produce, you just say, well, then, I, then I, I, guess, I guess maybe Jesus isn't true. Or maybe others of us try and live our lives with two signatures, trying to claim, at least on Sunday mornings, to be Christians, to follow after Christ. But if you if you had somebody following you around the rest of the week, it'd be hard to identify you with Christ. 
for you're chasing after the pleasures of the world, the desires of this sinful world. Or maybe some of us were so modern as if we've, we've painted in modern aspects to this painting because we want to be accepted by the people around us. We don't want to cling to these old truths. See, we're like counterfeits filled with modern desires. And yet, we have heard the truth. You've heard it today. Jesus, the Son of God, is the Christ. He came from heaven to earth. He died in the place of sinners so that you and I could receive the, the free gift that he offers, the gift of eternal life. And so you're called to turn to Jesus. If you've never done so, put your trust in him. If you consider yourself a Christian, then remain in him. Cling to this truth. Abide in him. Deepen your fellowship with him. Remember that Jesus has promised you eternal security, that you can know the truth. You can have certainty that you are not a counterfeit, that your faith is not false, but that it's yours because it's been given to you by Jesus the Christ himself. Put your trust in him. Acknowledge him to be your rescuer because Jesus keeps his promises. And this is what he has promised us. He has promised us eternal life. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that you would give us the hope and the confidence that we truly and really belong to Jesus. Lord, for those who have maybe heard the name of Jesus, even, even announcing creeds or confessions in the past that Jesus is the Christ and yet haven't truly believed it, haven't really understood the depth of their own sinfulness, Lord, I pray that you would today give them faith. You'd give them the gift of eternal life. Lord, for those of us who follow after Christ, let us remain in him, cling to him, rejoice in him, find our hope in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, let his love, his love displayed for us on the cross, motivate us and compel us to follow after him, to cling to him, to love him, to serve him, to obey him. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, Jesus the Christ. Amen.